Being good takes effort, but it also takes effort to be bad in an interesting way. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we talk about video game villains. What makes them tick? If there isn't a good answer to that question, they're probably not going to impress us very much. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Shire. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 Hello, Hello to both of you. Welcome it's back us. for another episode. Yeah. Guess what? What? We are a podcast. And like so many podcasts, <laughs> we're a part of a podcast network. I just think that's cool. It is cool. But what's really cool about it is that the network that we're a part of, Maximum Fun, they do this thing where you can become a member. And once mm. you're a member, you get to have access to bonus content that all the podcasts on the network create, even if you're only saying that you want to support us, like just our show. Like, let's say you only like triple click and you just only want to support us. And you went to maximumfund.org slash join and you were like, sure, I'll pay $5 a month for that. (laughs) But you only want to support triple click. But then you get bonus content for every other show. Isn't that cool? I just think it's, it's pretty cool. nice. Pretty nice. And a monthly season. bonus episode. Yeah, for us. us. Yeah, not yeah, every show does free. this. Monthly but bonus we do episode. every single month. We do a bonus episode. We put out episode. those monthly episodes. What's, we really what's do. this month's bonus episode? I'm just going to let Kirk say what it is because it's it's his baby. It's his Montero. It is. It, is. it really is my Montero. <laughs> it is uh, us talking about everything Half Life 2. Both of the Half-Life episodes, Half-Life Alex, even Epistle 3, the future of the Half-Life series, and uh, and Half-Life 2 some more, too. It's going to be very fun, and that's uh, coming out, I think, next week. That'll be in the bonus podcast feed. And if you become a member right now, we will throw in a set of steak knives. <laughs> <laughs> we will throw them at you, and you will dodge them speaking, expertly. Speaking of throwing <laughs> knives at people, Kirk, yeah. what are we talking about this week? <laughs> Well, this week we're talking about people in video games that you kind of want to throw a knife at. That's right. We're talking about villains. And it's a hot topic. So we're just going to talk about video game villains because, man, sometimes a video game is only as good as its villains. Mm. And we've uh, we've run across a lot of pretty amazing villains, even just this year in the games that we've been talking about. And we just thought it'd be something kind of fun to talk about. So let's start with just a really quick definition or, or not even definition like a sort of qualification of the 10 the 10 point spectrum of the <laughs> video game villain there is a super villain turbo plus i've been working mm-hmm. on a definition and on some terms that we'll get into in a minute but for starters i actually want to be a little bit more subjective and just ask the two of you what makes a good video game villain i know jason has some specific thoughts on this so maddie how about you go first what makes a good video game villain just in a few sentences mm-hmm. i didn't prepare a complex rubric for this i'm just going off the dome here that's totally fine that's totally i would say fine. the most important thing is that the villain needs to have a motivation it can be mm. really simple Usually the hero also has this or any other characters that you meet who you learn anything about also have some motivation, some conflict that they overcome. But the villain should have that, too, something that they're actually trying to do. And I don't think this is necessary, but some of my favorite villains also have some humanizing aspect to them, something where there's a part of you that sympathizes with them or perhaps a very large part of you that sympathizes with them and kind of wants them to win or at least is curious about what that would be like. I think that adds (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is called the Killmonger corollary. Yeah, the the Magneto, if 
you will. There, mm-hmm. there are plenty of great examples of villains where you kind of think they're right, you know? Right. Yes. So, Jason, I know you have some more complicated uh, thoughts on what makes a good villain. So tell us, Jason, what makes yeah. a good video game villain? I've thought about this a ton over the years because, like you, Kirk, I, I have long felt like a video game story specifically is is often, not always, but most of the time, often as good as its main villain, if it's that type of story. Of course, there are stories that are like player versus environment or man versus environment to use the kind of the the, the classic narrative term, man versus man versus man versus uh, God, man versus nature, blah, 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 blah. Um, but here are my rules. I have five rules for a good, okay. five a good rules. villain. Um, and I think this can apply. I think this is specifically for video games, but it can apply to any storytelling. One, like Maddie just said, has a good motivation for doing what they're doing. And it has to go a little bit beyond just like, rah, rah, I am evil, so I want to destroy the world, which is so right. often yeah, the case enough. in video games. Right. Not That's not a good motivation. No, that's, that's just not a good motivation. motivation. Okay. Wow, Kafka having a rough go so far. Go on, Jason. <laughs> so he has a motivation, but it's it's not explained in the game. It's okay, like we're not going to talk about Kafka I'm sorry yet. I What's number two? <laughs> two, um, clearly way stronger than the protagonist, at, at least at first. Um, has okay. to be, Interesting. Okay, you have to you have to have something to overcome. Um, which is why the classic JRPG thing is to have an unwinnable battle where the b- villain like fights you and you can't win sure, and it's sure. meant to show you that. Three, some sort of personal connection to the protagonist. That doesn't mean they have to be related. It doesn't mean they have to like like know each other, but there has to be some personal connection, whether it's the villain killed the protagonist's father or like the villain um, has some nugget in their past that is connected to the protagonist. There has to be some sort of connection. Like they were both in the soldier program together. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's that doesn't um, make any sense. The, the main character, the main character, looked up to the antagonist for a long time. Sure. That sort of thing. Um, number number four, four looks different than anyone else in the game. Not necessarily like. <laughs> you were just gonna say looks different than the hero and i was like yeah actually that's yeah, a pretty sure. good point no so they shouldn't be identical twins or should I mean, they well they can be they can dark be samus and twins. samus and they're pretty similar mm, um, interesting <laughs> so, interesting I, okay. I would say dark samus qualifies as a bad villain by my rubric um wow i don't Messed i don't uh, the villain doesn't necessarily have to be like some massive imposing just like eight foot tall giant, like beast or something like that but they have to be striking they have to have an aesthetic that makes you look at them and say oh this is an important character. Number five, their actions are present throughout the whole game. So like as you're playing through the game, you see kind of the consequences of what they're trying to do or what they're doing. And that is is always clear. You're not going to go 20 hours without ever seeing them, without them ever actually doing anything to thwart you or to affect the world in some way. And those are my five rules. Nice. Let me um let me read those back to you just because... I think those are pretty good. Um, number one, they need a good motivation. Number two, they need to be way stronger than you, at least at the beginning. Number three, they need a personal connection to the protagonist. Number four, they need to look different from anyone else in the game. That one's a little bit gooey, but okay. <laughs> and then number five, they need to be present throughout the game. That's good. I think four should just be, they look cool. <laughs> they look <laughs> They don't cool. have to look different. They just have to look cool. Anyway. I think they, they by look different. I just mean that like like they can't be another freaking like NPC. Like you would recognize them if you saw them in a crowd of people. Um, I like those. It's interesting because it's a lot of just what makes for a good character. I mean, what I would just say that a villain mm-hmm. needs to be a good character. You can't just have 
a sort of mindless enemy that you're fighting against because that's just a lot. That's not a villain. It can be okay in a video game context, but it's not the thing that we're talking about. So I wanted to get a little bit into terms, and there are kind of three types of similar and overlapping concepts, like character types, like archetypes, I guess, that I think are interesting to keep in mind when you're talking about villains. And those are a villain, which is the sort of catch-all and the thing that we're talking about. There's also an antagonist. And then there's just a boss. And I think that like a lot of villains and characters, people who are referred to as villains in video games, tend to fall into some of those categories, but not others. I came up with some examples. So the alien in Alien Isolation, I would say that that is an antagonist. It follows you throughout the game, which is your number five, Jason. It's it's very much the the whole game is just being chased by this thing. You can never kill it. Um, and it never even really becomes a boss fight at the end. And I would not call it a villain. I would say it's a pure antagonist. It just antagonizes you throughout the game. Similarly, I think like the Titans in Resident Evil or some other Resident Evil bosses, they're also antagonists, the ones that chase you through the level, but Mm -hmm. then they also become bosses usually, and you fight them at the end of their, like in Resident Evil Village, you always fight the sort of overseer at the end. So that's antagonist plus boss. I wouldn't say, I actually think that Resident Evil Village sort of lacks for a good villain. There's Mother Miranda, but she's not, she's the closest thing to a villain, but she's not actually a great villain. So that, it's like a bunch of smaller boss antagonists, but there's sort of no great villain in that game. Yeah, whereas I thought you were going to say Wesker is the obvious villain for most Resident Evil games, where he's right. not necessarily a boss, or an, and sometimes right. he's an antagonist, but he's, he's definitely the villain, because his machinations, mm-hmm. in at least most versions of the story, are why everything's happening. Or like, I guess you could say Spencer's machinations. I mean, it depends which piece of Resident Evil lore we want to talk about. But but I get what, I get your distinction where the villain is the interesting character whose motivations you might understand, but maybe they're not a boss you ever fight and maybe they're not right. specifically challenging you in every game. And while Wesker is sort of an overlying villain for Resident Evil, he's not present in a way, like in Village, there's like a note from him or something at one point in the game. Yeah, he's not he's, present in a way that yeah, makes him an actual villain in that anymore, game. not there anymore, really. Right. Yeah. So a few more examples, Valkyries and God of War, those are just bosses. Like those aren't, they're not villains. They're not antagonists. They don't follow you around. You literally just go into an arena and you fight them one after the other. <laughs> You're really the villain in that scenario. <laughs> I guess, right, that Kratos kind of is the is the villain of especially early God of War games. That is actually true. Ares is like kind of the villain, but really in the end, Kratos kind of becomes the villain. Um, Metal Gear Solid 3, I think Metal Gear bosses are interesting because they're bosses that are so good that they almost transcend Boston and become more than that, which a villain does feel like an elevated boss, but I don't know. Well, what about the boss in Metal Gear Solid 3? Well, and that's interesting. We can get into that or a little big bit. Because that's like sometimes villains who were friends or who were actually like people who are on your team who then become enemies, that can really make for a great villain Mm -hmm. if it's someone you've actually been working alongside who then betrays you. Then the last example is just because I've been playing The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, is the prosecutors in those games, I think, are a really interesting character archetype where they're uh, an antagonist that's like not trying to kill you or anything. They're always just fighting against you and pushing against you. But there's a moment in every case, like in Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, this guy Van Zeke, who's an amazing character, he's like this sexy vampire racist, is how I would describe him, basically. Um, and he's always drinking his his chalice of wine and throwing it around. One of the greatest moments in every case is when he slams his leg up onto his desk. <laughs> he rules, it's but chalice. there's always, there will be the moment in... 
your cross-examination when you finally begin to really nail down what happened. And he always comes around in every case. He's much more interested in the truth. And they'll try to weasel out of it on the stand. They'll ask him for help. They'll be like, can't you see what this defense attorney is doing? And he'll be like, no way, man. Answer the question. And soon he's like on your side. And so the kind of thrill of those games is winning an antagonist over with your just like dogged persistence until the two of you bring the thing in at the end. So that is well, also what's kind interesting, of an interesting about thing. those games is that there's usually also like a villain pulling strings behind the scene the whole time you just don't know who the villain is or like what their deal is which I think can also fit my rubric my five rules like none of those say that you necessarily have to know that this person is a villain or know who the villain is even Mm -hmm. when I say they're present throughout the game by the way I I specifically said their actions are present throughout the game because you don't have to be seeing them you just see the consequences of what they're doing right right Hmm. although in an ace attorney game they don't have a personal connection to anyone necessarily other than the murder. They usually victim. do. No, they usually do. There's usually a personal connection to Phoenix, right? Or to Right. Like, like there's an overarching thing that's only characters. turns up in the final in the final like uh, chapter, right? So even in the older ones, you look at, at like the first Ace Attorney game and that whole story, mm-hmm. the villain has this personal connection to Edgeworth and and right. as a result, Phoenix, like there's a lot of personal connections there for Well, sure. and that can be like the twist villain. There's a great twist villain in a recent Ace Attorney game. I won't mm-hmm. say which one, but there's mm-hmm. a great moment where a character you've been talking to the whole game is revealed to be the ultimate villainous mastermind. Mm-hmm. Um, Bioshock is another good example that's easier to talk mm-hmm. about without spoiling anything, and also more people know Bioshock. That's an interesting one, because that is a game that, I don't know, like, would you say that Andrew Ryan is a villain Is is a villain throughout that game? He's not really present, but his whole, obviously, his influence is very felt throughout the game, just because he, he built this city. Yeah, I would say he is in a sort of similar way to like Spencer is in the Resident Evil games where it's like, okay, an ideology has infected people in Mm. this world and this sort of demagogue character has had their influence felt in some previous time or that's why there's a conflict here. I would still call him a villain in the larger Mm -hmm. context of the world. But you're Mm -hmm. right, he he isn't the same as like a... Big Daddy or whatever. Well, and they, well, and, and th- that game has this whole villain problem at the end, where he's kind of he's taunting you throughout the game. He's on your radio, you know, and then you kill him in this incredible sequence that should have been the end of the game, and then instead of it being the end of the game, is his name Fontaine, the guy mm-hmm. who has like been pretending to be the other guy, and then reveals that he's been controlling you the whole time. Like Fontaine is like the villain, and he's the final boss. And there's that terrible fight right where you're in a room and you're trying to. Like he's like a huge monster or something. And and it's just that whole part feels really stupid. So it's like the game (laughs) kind of subverts the whole idea of a villain by like having you kill him in a cutscene, And then it's like, oh, but we still need to have a true villain that you go and fight because it's a video game. Very much. Yeah. You can sniff out the publisher influences on that one that we have to hit this checklist. We have to have a final boss. So I'm looking at games we've talked about recently on the show that we've talked about so many video games you guys. <laughs> we play a lot of games i don't see the last of us part two on this list i don't know oh that should be there that should be there <laughs> i don't know uh, why i brought talk this about up the I'm villain sorry. No, kirk's, the whole time kirk's writing i just sort right of oh. made this list no so uh, the villain is the player the villain is me for adding in the last of us part two <laughs> but it's fine Well, I mean, that's so that game is interesting. You were talking about Kratos earlier. I think that a game that casts you 
as the villain or has you do villainous actions can be very interesting. I do think that like while I of course have some complaints, especially with like the final chapters of The Last of Us Part Two, a lot of what it's doing is like really, really ambitious shit with story and it's amazing. And the fact that not only do they have you you know, they, they reveal Ellie's actions to be pretty monstrous very unambiguously throughout the game, just like the first one to the Joel, by then switching and having you play as Abby as well. It, like, further complicates the issue to the point where it actually kind of almost becomes a mess, you could say. But it, but it is really, um, it's really ambitious in the way that it does that. Like, having you actually control the other person that you were fighting against in the game, which is one of the only times I've ever done that in a game, certainly on that scale. Yeah, I mean, that's part of why... I think it's more frustrating for me because I actually think the idea is really fun and not something yeah. I think I've ever played a game that did that before either, mm -hmm. where you play as the character who you think is the heroic one and then you switch perspectives to be that person's villain and then you play as them for a little while and then you switch back and forth for a while and you're like, oh, both of them are each other's villain and I don't know mm -hmm. who I sympathize with. And the climactic battle at the end is like, no one wins and they are both terrible and you're rooting for no one and you're just waiting for the game to end, which I think is part of why no game has ever done something like that before. Because if you right. try to both villainize and humanize both halves of the coin, of the equation, then you're like, well, what? who's... How you do kind we, of write how yourself into a dead up? end. This is like Spec Ops <laughs> The Line plays with this as well. Actually, Far Cry 2 kind of plays with this too, where like there are reveals toward the end of the game about who your character really is, and then you reflect on what's going on. I mean, Spec Ops is much more sort of outre about it. It's much more high concept, but Far Cry is kind of this really straightforward story. But both of them, you look back at the end and you're like, oh, you know, are we the baddies? Like, was I the baddie <laughs> the yeah. whole time? And it is... It's a profound thing the first time you see it. It's a very interesting thing, but it starts to become the same thing every time because video games like require a degree of complicity, I guess, to play them. So to always be finding that you're the villains just loses its its luster after a couple of times. I would also argue that Ellie is not a great villain because of reason number one, the one you brought up, Maddie, and the one that was number one in my rubric, which is that her motivation doesn't make sense. And it makes sense for most of the game until that final cutscene where it's like, oh, actually, she did get closure after all, so there was no... And she did find out the oh, what, yeah, what right. he did right. after all, so there was no reason for her to be doing any of this, and the whole story That's really right. made no yeah, sense. Yeah, I really struggled so with I remember that, the last of us too. All right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So yeah. what if, okay. What if that had just been a dream she had? Ah. Really <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Here we go. Also, we were dead the whole time when we played it. What do you like it then? Is that good? So while we're talking about, <laughs> while we're talking about villains, I think it is interesting to look at games that don't have villains and still succeed hmm. because obviously some types of games just don't need villains. There isn't a villain in the Outer Wilds, for example. There isn't a villain. Mm, the well, there is. Uh, it's knowledge? The villain in, in the Outer Wilds is, like, uh, entropy and hmm. the slow collapse. That's not of... a villain, though. I mean, like, when, I, mean, I know okay, that you so can make an argument, time. but that's like saying the, the, the city in Grand Theft Auto is a character. Like, yes, but it's also sure. not actually a character in right. the script. Right, like, it's not a character. Like I mentioned before, it's kind of like the classic storytelling conflict, where there's always some sort of conflict in a story, mm -hmm. and usually it's person versus person, but, like, sometimes it'll be person versus nature and like person versus things they can't control and I think Outer Wilds is just a good example of that and that's why the story resonates and you're right it doesn't have a villain but because it has that kind of classic 
conflict that is driving right. the entire story, it really works well as a story, despite the not. Like, really, what we're, we're talking about when we talk about a villain is that, like, the central conflict is really strong in that story. And the conflict doesn't work, like, when a villain doesn't work when the conflict doesn't work as well. And the conflict doesn't work as well when the villain doesn't have a strong motivation and the villain is boring or whatever. But but the environment doesn't need a motivation. It just right. is. It just so is. And well, just one of the most oppressive. interesting things, one of the coolest things about using the environment or nature as a conflict or just like forces beyond our control is that you don't try to understand them. You just kind of have to battle them and like hope for the best. And it can be really interesting when you parallel our own world and climate change and all sorts of other interesting stuff. Yeah, I think that to drill down on that a little bit, the conflict with a villain specifically, it is just one avenue of conflict you can have and it's a very narrative and very character-based type of conflict Mm -hmm. so villains tend to turn up in very narrative and character-based games where the outer wilds is just as one example it is a narrative game in that you uncover this narrative but it's not character-based really i wouldn't say like it isn't that kind of a story right um or a game like the long dark or something like a game where it's kind of just you trying to survive in the middle of nowhere can have an amazing story but it's just such a different kind of story that a villain wouldn't really fit in that game if there was someone on the radio taunting you all the time or something Mm -hmm. you know yeah um I, I listed Monster Hunter here, like that kind of game. Monster Hunter doesn't have a villain. It's, it's always moving the goalposts with like who the dragon is that's back that you need to deal with. There's always like a bunch of plot shenanigans going on. But that game is just a sort of man versus beast game to use your, your framework, Jason. And you're kind of just conquering these creatures and, you know, gradually stopping them from destroying your village, I guess, in the most well, so- recent one. I would actually say that the conflict in a game like Monster Hunter is man versus self because you're fighting against your own kind of instincts, which might be weak at first and your ability to play the game might be weak at first, but you're gaining them more and more over time. And kind of that's what's interesting about video game storytelling, which is that a lot of conflicts can be like that because it's the conflict of you as the player just like learning to get better at the game. Um, and that's how you kind of overcome overcome the conflict in the first And place. I think that is why it's kind of rare for there to be great video game villains. Like, why so many games can get away with just sort of having mediocre villains. It's not the same as Marvel movies, even though I always think of Marvel movies because they so often have bad villains. But it's it's similar in that the primary appeal of both video games and Marvel movies is something other than that stuff, like that deeper character-like type of rewarding conflict it's more just like with video games it can just be that it's super fun to play and Mm -hmm. you really just don't care and um you know with marvel movies it's like well we're just here to see thor screw around on on screen and and like make jokes and it's not that big of a deal that whichever villain he's fighting isn't isn't that cool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so wait do you think that if monster hunter is pokemon that it would benefit from team rocket also existing within the world of monster hunter because you know, Team Rocket is obviously the villain of Pokemon, and right. they're the same genre. So one is pocket monsters, one is monsters. Right. What if there were like a couple of queer people who kept trying to steal your monster and got <laughs> well, spoiled so at I every turn? We might. It might be that people who played Monster Hunter stories, the recent Pokemon Monster Hunter game that I haven't played, could be being like, "There is. There's, there's no a Team, Team Rocket, Rocket in, in that there. game. That would be great." I I edited Polygon's review of that, and I feel like I would remember if that was a part oh, of okay. it. Oh, okay. But yeah, sadly, no. Now that I think about it, I do feel like Pokemon games are what Jason said, where it's versus yourself, man versus man. Sure. You want to be the very best, like no one ever was. It's not man versus mm-hmm. beast. You're just training your Pokemon and also yourself. Well, you have. 
your rival in the Pokemon yeah, games also. That's uh, a thing. But, but like, the, the, the Pokemon <laughs> games, I mean, some of the time, with, especially with video games, uh, fundamentally, it's just not a great story. And that we have to kind of like, like <laughs> account for that when we're trying to analyze the villains, that it just might not be like that there isn't anything there and that it's not the story that people are playing this game for. I mean, there is the moment later in a Pokemon game when, you know, Pikachu takes the mask off and reveals who he truly right. is and kills your whole village. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that part's you know, pretty sad. They do have yeah. a villain in that respect. Yeah, Mewtwo was right, so we kind of get it at that point. Yeah. One series that I've been thinking about with regards to villain is Persona, because I think Persona mm. does some interesting stuff with antagonism and villainousness. I, like, there, aren't, there isn't like a big villain. Well, there are. Persona 4 has a, right. a big villain, and Persona 5 has a couple, I guess, a couple of big It's villains. like a series of villains, and I mean, Kamoshida, the, the gym teacher from the right. first castle in Persona 5, is a fantastic villain as long as that goes on, and that sequence does last as long as some video games, so, <laughs> so right. maybe he counts. Um, but I think that it's cool that there is also a sort of element of going into the psyche of future friends who are currently antagonists and are in a kind of unhappy place, which is also something that would happen in Persona 4. And you have to actually mm-hmm. like fight a version of their insecurities to win them over to your side, and then they become your friends. And also, I don't remember this happens in Persona 4, it definitely happens in Persona 5, there are characters on your team who then become villains at other points, like who betray you. There are twists like that as well. So they play with a lot of that kind of stuff in those games, and I think they're able to do it, I guess partly because they're going inside of people's minds and you get to like see their motivations be manifest and like, you know, then cast fireballs at them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of one of the classic JRPG tropes. um, And this is kind of exemplified with final fantasy seven is allowing a villain to be part of your party for a little bit in some way or another. It might be just because they're going to betray you. Um, There's a great moment in fantasy star four where you wind up recruiting this guy who is like very clearly a villain and actually uses like ability that are like dark nightmare and everyone's just like oh yeah okay join our party and then five seconds later he turns out to be a villain but also in Final Fantasy 7 I mentioned that because they're part of the reason one of the reasons Sephiroth is such an iconic and uh, excellent villain is that from the very beginning he joins your party and he just so dominates every single monster and like his abilities are just ridiculous like he just has the highest level spells like 9999 damage to everything he touches and I think that can be a really effective way of showing you who a character is only for them to set only to then set them up as a villain for later Plus, he looks cool, which was Plus one of your Plus, he looks cool, as well. which is most important. He yeah, has you look a really at long sword. Sephiroth coat, really fits all the rubric. Really long bangs and long yeah. hair. Sweet Both. bangs, always surrounded by fire. Loves his mother. Mm. I do think that that sequence in the original FF7, when you fight alongside him, is a, it's a cool way of using knowledge of the game. Like the you know the, the fact that you've played just long enough to have a sense of how powerful you are to have a sense of like what a good attack is, like what a good number is to see, and then you see his numbers coming off of him. It's like just at the right moment where you think, oh, okay, so this is supposed to seem just impossibly out of reach uh-huh, to me. Uh-huh. And then you know, that establishes that number two, that he is, he is way more powerful than you. And of course, you probably know that you're going to have to fight him. Uh, so yeah, that, that makes sense. Wait, wait. So Jason, can we talk about Kafka really quick? Do you think sure. Kafka is a bad villain according to your own rubric? Well, I think that 
he qualifies for most of the things. I would say he qualifies as way stronger than the protagonist, clearly Mm -hmm. has a personal connection, looks different, like their actions are present throughout the game. Motivation is a tricky one because like there is some canon stuff that like, and like if you talk to the right NPC, you get hints of this, that like he his mind was damaged as part of like Magitech experiments. And that's why he went nuts and started doing what he's doing. But no, there are no, like his only motivation towards the end of the game is like he wants to become a god for some reason and then finds you irritating yeah yeah and then when he's a god and he's destroyed the world he just wants to randomly set towns on fire for like not obeying him it doesn't not a lot of it makes tons of sense you know though like there's something to the idea of a malevolent force that doesn't have a strong motivation i think Mm. you can subvert any one of these if you do it smartly yeah and still have a good villain i'm thinking about the ring for whatever reason um but the girl in the ring it is revealed in that movie that she's not actually looking for closure for being drowned in a well. She's just this pure force of evil. And it's actually an amazing reveal in that movie because it's so much scarier. If she's not like, you know, the whole time it's like, oh, it's this ghost story. It's like the exorcist or whatever. It's a haunting. We need to figure out what happened to her and like make her spirit whole so she'll move on. And then it's like, no, man, like I'm not interested in that at all. I am a force of pure evil. I'm a demon who's just going to come and eat your face. And like that is a lot scarier. So it's kind of cool that by removing that, it actually it kind of works in the character's favor or in the story's favor in that sense. I think when I'm thinking about the absence of villains, um, I'm, I think about Half-Life 2 since I just played through the episodes to that game. And that's kind of an interesting one because Half-Life 2, the base game, there is a villain figure, Dr. Breen, who's the guy who's like on the screen all the time. He's very much present. He's very annoying, this kind of smarmy sellout, you know. He's uh he's he's sold out to the combine and then at the very end you finally like confront him and he dies. And then he's not present for either of the two episodes. But his absence, like the absence of any clear sort of villain figure in that world, this kind of terrifying post-conquered alien destroyed world, is also really effective because the combine are so alien and so unknowable that if there was a villain communicating with you, even if you were getting weird psychic messages from some combine controller or something, like, taunting you, it would suck. Like, it's so much cooler that that's not there, even Mm -hmm. though there is this malevolent presence, there is this force that is unknowable and outside of our dimensional reality that you're always up against. That kind of works really well because it's ambiguous and unknown. So you don't think the G-Man is somewhat villainous? Oh, boy. Okay, wait. <laughs> now I'm going to re- I have to rework my Hold premise. Hold on. We have, to, we, have to, we have to table this for the Beans cast. <laughs> no, but no. I, this is, we can give people a little tease. You can become a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Okay. Well, about this. I mean, okay. it's also a topic for debate, That is good. We, we could return to the G-Man the, as a villain. The G-Man is nothing. The G-Man is a nonsense character. The G-Man, like, pops up to be mysterious for the sake of I being mysterious. Know, but he's... The I don't know, man. The G-Man is nonsense. The G-Man is talking about his employers. I've I've said it before, but he fits. He fits all five of these. In fact, I would argue five things. I would. No way. What's his motivation? Okay, his motivation is is a little. It's ambiguous, but I would say it could be really good. I think it's kind of good. I would argue, actually, that this is a hot take. I would argue that Half Life Two story is pretty weak until Episode Two, and Episode Two is the only one that has like a, a, a consistent story. Half-Life especially, like the original, you're just being shepherded from place to place. Okay, 
this is something we're going to have to get into in the Beans cast because this oh isn't about goodness. villains, but I think that that's an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will table that. Okay, okay. <laughs> anyways, villains. Here's a thought. Destiny. Wasn't it funny how Destiny didn't have a villain? And then they were like, wait a minute. <laughs> this story sucks without a villain. Let's add some villains. And then over time, they kind of started adding them. And then they finally got some like pretty good villains. And I gather now there are like legitimately good villains in the game. Well, Destiny 2, beca- or sorry, the first Destiny became good with Taken King, which was all about a villain who had a super yes. strong motivation. Who was like, you killed my fucking son. I'm coming to get you. Um, yep. That was great. 100%. And the crow in a, in a, a whatever it was called forsaken like mm-hmm. that was even more because yep. it was like i'm gonna kill your best friend i'm gonna kill yep. nathan fillion he's dead i did it come yep. get me and yep. then the yeah whole he's game really is, dead it's so wild i keep expecting really him to come is. back he's not back he's gone yeah the nathan Fillion's got other stuff story. to do that's true he's a busy <laughs> man i feel like we're all missing out by not keeping up with the destiny 2 story but i just did not oh i kept up with it i could tell you guys anyway. about it but it's just like do i want to waste your time or i don't, I don't know. think it's a waste of time i've heard the story's been pretty good for that game <laughs> i kind of figure i'll catch up one day and jump into it one day just don't have time right now they're doing uh, this thing now where the refugee alien characters they're like the elikni i can't remember mm-hmm. alien yeah the names. fallen the fallen the dudes. fallen yeah, oh, yeah they the fallen, they yeah. are now being newly humanized by the lore and you the guardian are the villain in their world interesting so they're doing that so they're pulling a last of us too they are they are no they're not (laughs) they're pulling a spec ops honestly if we're being real about it they're pulling a spec ops that has been true of destiny for a long time that you are viewed as a villain by the fallen because the fallen worshiped the traveler before it left and they're they're like chasing after the traveler is the villain if we're also going really hard here it's because the traveler is kind of terrifying and weird yes. and like why does it do anything that it does we'll no. never know it's basically the g-man anyway uh, well, part of <laughs> destiny lore is that when the earth was under attack and everyone was going to get killed the traveler was like all right peace i'm out of here and it was going to leave us just like it left the fallen but then rasputin the war mind was like no you have to stay and like forced it to stay and that's the only reason the traveler is even still here so yes uh, there is it's kind of complicated who the, mm-hmm. who the villain might be in Destiny. Which is always more fun, in my opinion. Like, if a world Absolutely. is complex enough that you have multiple villains with different motivations, or villainous factions, mm-hmm. if you will. That's yes. that's more interesting to follow. Yeah, well, this. the best villains are villains who, like, leave it ambiguous as to whether they're really villains. Like you mentioned before, Maddie, the ones who are so sympathetic or so interesting and complicated that they make you wonder, like, hmm, I wonder if this person has a point. Speaking of which... I'm going to talk about Deathloop for a second because I just finished that game. For sure. And I have lots to say about it then, that hopefully we can talk about uh, soon in a triple play. Maybe we'll like, do an episode about Deathloop. Hopefully. I don't know. In the future, isn't um, but just to focus on the villain for a second, the villain in that game is a woman named Juliana um, who is just constantly <laughs> chasing you and popping up in your games and trying She's to She's very funny. I've only played a little bit. She's she is extremely uh, funny. The, the banter yes. between your main character, Colt, and Juliana is one of the best things about the game. Like every, every you're just constantly chatting away every time you you open up a new mission um but she is a great villain um she has uh, she fits everything on my rubric um she has strong motivation she wants to protect this loop that you're in and so she has to stop you from breaking it she has uh she has like she's clearly stronger she has personal connections to you the protagonist she looks different her actions are present throughout the game there's a lot of good stuff in there 
You know what I'll say too is in the way stronger than the protagonist department. So I've played like almost no Deathloop, just enough to play a little bit and be like, oh my god, I was kind of overwhelmed. <laughs> I played a little and was like, I just want to play this game for a million years. Uh-huh. Um, but in the beginning, what's really cool is not only does it you know begin with her killing you, <laughs> and so clearly demonstrating that she's more powerful than you and she's hunting you throughout the game, mm-hmm. she also knows what's going on and your character doesn't. So mm. from the very beginning, all of the dialogue is. Two very funny people played very well by two very good actors, but she's just like, dude, keep up, like constantly confusing you and taunting you and telling you, like, go do this. No, don't do that. Go do this. God, do you not know anything? And your guy is like, oh, my God, leave me alone. I don't know what's going on. And that dynamic, it's kind of a similar version of her being more powerful than you. She's also Mm -hmm. just like she knows what's going on. She has so much more knowledge than your character does. It's very GLaDOS, very GLaDOS and chill. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's true. Uh, another great villain. We could go on and on. GLaDOS is just yes. the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> when are they going to make Portal 3? You know? Half-Life 3? I don't even care. Portal 3? <laughs> yeah, Portal that's 3. the one. What's interesting is that there's some iconic villains throughout video game history who don't really fit a lot of these criteria, like who don't have strong motivations. You look at Bowser, one of the most iconic villains. I was wondering villains, if Bowser his, was going to come his up. His motivation is, um, I want to steal the princess. Loneliness? Uh, the everlasting loneliness of the soul I feel like that makes perfect sense Bowser just wants a friend he's actually pretty relatable honestly I mean I don't I don't agree with what he does Bowser's an incel however we all know that's but Maddie Maddie, in the original Mario games he doesn't even like befriend Peach or try to marry her or anything he just sticks her in a dungeon that's true but that lore has been built upon extensively and now Bowser's like kind of friends with Mario and they're like buddies and so on so I, I don't know. Bowser's not a bad guy at this point. And that's the thing with Mario and with Zelda, with all these long-running Nintendo series, where the vil- the original villains have become kind of, like, warm and, and cuddly at this point. Like, now there are these theories about Breath of the Wild 2 that you're going to play as Ganondorf or whatever. And, like, Bowser's your buddy and in, in the recent, what's it called? the the Bowser's Fury. Thank you, Bowser's Fury. Like, Bowser Jr. is like, help me save my dad, and you're trying to save him. Like, th- they've been around for so long that the villains, because... They were written and gradually made more sympathetic and understandable, just had to become good guys, which is a super common thing. I mean, in comics, geez, mm-hmm. it's like happens all the like time. Like every Batman in, villain is in by TV now shows, just right? Like in like. every show, yeah. like Spike or whatever, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like there's always a guy. It's like, oh, now he's the real villain. Mm, okay, now he's kind of our friend because we <laughs> like him because we've been watching him for three seasons and getting to know him. I just want to point out that with Bowser, this actually happened in the early '90s with Super Mario RPG, which was the first game to make Bowser an ally and he joins your party and it's like a whole thing because he Mm -hmm. turns into this hilarious comic character who is like constantly like talking about how mad he is to have to team up with Mario and like commanding his villains and stuff like that. There's some good stuff Mm -hmm. in that game. Yeah, so it sounds like you like Bowser, Jason, and he fits all of your criteria. I do like Bowser. Well, that's the thing. Well, I think that like for like Kirk said earlier, for for as like even rubrics, like if you're subverting stuff in interesting ways, you can make a villain work. And sometimes like a villain can just by sheer force of repetition or like sheer just charming charm, um, a villain can become iconic even when they don't have a strong motivation, just because they're mm-hmm. there. Look at Ridley, for example. Ridley has become this iconic iconic Metroid villain like we discussed last week and like what's his motivation maybe you know Maddie but nobody else does (laughs) I mean 
you know, dominating planets. Sure. Uh, Character design goes a long way. Character design does go a long way. That's why it's one of my, you said it was a gooey, a gooey one, but that's why it's on my rubric. I agree with it at this point. I feel like villains need to look I more meant that looks different from anyone else in the game is maybe not how I would phrase it, but we can, we can fine tune that one maybe in editing. Looks, looks striking. Uh, Yeah. What I wrote down was that they were, they must be striking. That's, that's really the best way to put it. Has a striking look. Because, like, Lady Demoresque from Resident Evil Village, like, a villain that people loved, even though in the actual game, kind of, like, not Doesn't that do anything. cool yeah. of a character. Like, she, she mm-hmm. sort of comes and goes, and there's mm-hmm. better characters in the game than her. But just her character design. Yeah, like, they put all the points into the look striking category for her, yes. and they didn't. Right, exactly. Her, that is, like, it's like right. she's an imbalanced character. And sometimes yeah. marketing can just create a, a great villain. By the way, another iconic villain, one of the best villains in video game history, I would say, Danganronpa's Monokuma, Monokuma mm-hmm. whose yeah. motivation is not really his own because he's being controlled by other people uh, most of the time, but is still iconic. In, in yeah, every like way. an antagonist who just through sheer chutzpah becomes a villain yeah. <laughs> because he just won't shut up and is so funny. Yeah, although I would say part of what's scary about him, at least at first, is that you don't know what his motivation is, and it seems yeah. as though he has none. Like he's sort of right. like a backwards right. Kafka in that way, where he starts off just seeming like a madman character who has no motivation, and then as time goes on, the twist or whatever twists are revealed and you're like, oh, this is actually a character who has a right. reason for doing this. And actually, the more, I mean, as much as I love Danganronpa, the more twisty and the more you learn about the world, it starts to just become pretty, this labyrinthine whatever, where it is at its most effective and creepy when it's the very beginning and there's just this bear, this extremely cheery, psychotic oh, bear on the TV telling you all to kill each other. And it's like, this is great. Like, that works on its own. It's it's mm-hmm. a mix of, it's like those aesthetic things. Kirk, you, know? you saying that. You saying that made me want to make you play Danganronpa V3, the third game, so badly. Cause yeah, really well, when it comes to Switch, game. I'm going to finish it. I got like halfway through it when it comes to Switch. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, that's December. Oh, man, we could do a whole episode on Danganronpa. It's we coming totally, out. We should. I, I, think we I never beat will. the second one. I, oh, we my could, God. I could so circle back. I'm so excited for you guys. To, I'm going to play through. I'm going to replay all three of them. I'm so excited. Wow. I'll definitely um, play the third one at that point. But for now, I think that's enough villain talk. Let's uh, Let's take a break, and we'll be back for one more thing. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Patton Oswalt, Kelsey Dara, 
and open mic eagle. I have his public facing self and then I have my emotional self that tends to stay hidden. It was about finding a way to communicate to somebody that like, there's terrible sh going on back here. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back for one more thing. Maddie Myers, what's your one more thing? My one more thing is a video game called Get in the Car Loser. It is a new RPG nice. by Christine Love, and it came out surprise release today. So I've only played it for like a couple hours, oh, wow. but I was just too excited to not play it. So <laughs> it rules so far. I love it. We actually interviewed Christine about this game on the show, on the previous show, Split Screen, at GDC. Jason, you were desperately sick that day, and you probably only have a half memory of even being on the show at that point, but I <laughs> yeah, interviewed I got food poisoning. Christine. It was really bad. <laughs> Jason was <laughs> physically present. People can go back right. and dig you up press the record button. <laughs> yeah, about, about this game. Um, so she described it as a lesbian road trip RPG, and I would say that's what it is, um, but it's... What's also striking about it to me is that the main character, Sam, she is the healer character, and ordinarily that isn't the character who would be the main character mm. in an RPG. Usually it's it's Cloud Strife as opposed to Aerith. And you're sort of playing as the Aerith character in this. And you're also hanging out with like this cool heroine with a huge sword, very Cloud, very Zack, I guess, God, is more okay. sort of her yeah. vibe. And like her like significant other is also there, and like they can punch people, and they're like the tank character. And so like the two of them are like the two heavy classes that you are like tagging along to protect and just as a narrative conceit I find it really charming and fun mm. for you for the narrative focus to be revolved around you and like the other two characters uh, much like Juliana and Deathloop already know everything about the world and you are the fish out of water who doesn't know about the villain and thought they were just screwing with you the whole time when they said they were going to save the world and like stop stop this massive destruction from happening and like steal the sword from their school and all this stuff and you're like just tagging along like what is happening oh, right now and that it's hilarious the dialogue is super funny and enjoyable so and it's I like a turn-based rpg right? it is a turn-based rpg the combat took me a little while to understand it but then once i did i was like oh this is really fun it's not hard i would say this is a game that's more about the funny dialogue than like min maxing your stats because sure, christine love uh is sort of known for for dating sims and visual novels, and this is her first time making an RPG like this, which is really cool to see her try a new genre. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect from the combat. It's pretty fun so far, but I don't think that's the focus. It's more about like the dialogue and the characters. Is there like any branching to the narrative or is it just a pretty straightforward narrative that you I don't through? know yet because I'm not far enough, but I could see that being true. There's some branching dialogue, which is very Christine mm -hmm. Love. So I can like decide mm -hmm. what kind of person I want Sam to be. I don't know if that's going to play a role. I would predict since it's a Christine Love that there's going to be some dating sim elements Right. At some point, but well, you're with hey, two I different characters, right? Yeah, and I think other characters show up eventually. I think it's mm. a four player party based game, but yeah. so far there's only three of us. I don't know. I'm really enjoying it. It's also free, and there's a $10 DLC oh. that you can also buy. But if people mm, want to just try it out, it's free. So, wait, is the DLC like the bulk of the game and most of it? I don't the free think so. Is a demo? I oh, think she okay, just put out the game for free and was like, if you also want to pay $10 for this other thing, go for it, which interesting. is interesting. Pretty wild. 
Yeah, yeah. that's pretty also, cool. Also, the soundtrack is really good, too. I'm enjoying it. So, yeah. It's sort of, of like how we put out a podcast for free, and then there's a $5 a month DLC. That it's you can, uh, very you can, yeah. similar to that. Yeah, it's <laughs> almost identical to that. I think Christine Love said, she's like, you know, I was inspired by what you guys did with Triple Click <laughs> <They> <laughs> for have, the pricing model they for my new game. founded Triple Click, but I guessed it on their show when it was a different show, and I had a premonition sure. that they would do this. Yeah. There we go. Exactly Makes sense. Nice. Well, that sounds great. Just what I need. Another good video game to play. Um, Jason. <laughs> Get in the car, loser. Sounds cool. Yeah. Jason, what is your one worth thing? Well, I have bad news for you, Kirk. <laughs> oh, no. I'm playing a new game and it rules. I'm oh, playing no. a video game called Eastward. And Eastward is a game that is published by Chucklefish, which I think uh, really put it on a lot of people's radars because Chucklefish, they made, they, they published um, Stardew Valley and, um, and Starbound and... Lots of other cool stuff. They're a really cool publisher that just, they pick good games. And if you look at screenshots for this game, for Eastward, you'll see that, you'll see immediately why I am enjoying it. Because it looks like Yes, a, I'm, okay, I just Googled it, and I, I've i seen this. Yes, this looks it, great. It's like a gorgeous, like, like SNES style. Um, yes. It's not an RPG, but it's very much, I would best it's best described as, like, the action and dungeons and combat and puzzles and stuff of Zelda mixed with, like, the the, the quirky humor and charm and references and stuff of Earthbound. Um, and it's very inspired oh, by Earthbound. And wow. it's also extremely right. inspired by Zelda, like to the point where every dungeon is like a Zelda dungeon and like you're getting keys and bombs and stuff and smacking enemies with a frying pan. Um, but then it expands a little bit. It's a very long game. I think people were saying it took them like 35 hours to complete, 40 hours to complete. Oh, wow. um, I'm only on chapter two, so I'm not super far into it yet, but I'm already like five hours in probably and on chapter two um it opens up because you play as this dude named john who's like a silent protagonist who is um the kind of protector of this girl this little girl named sam and at first you can only control john in combat and puzzles and dungeons and stuff but then sam becomes controllable and it turns out she has special powers and then you can switch between the two characters Mm. to solve puzzles and there's some really cool stuff that they do i just did this dungeon segment where like you're controlling both characters at once as they walk through this like parallel structure sort of like in final fantasy 6 where you have the dungeons of two parties and one has to open up another like switch for another party um it's sort of like that except a little bit more elaborate but anyway this game rules it's like it's so charming and quirky and interesting um the game is set in this kind of weird kind of post-apocalyptic world where like everybody's living in poverty and trash and like um there's in this town that is ruled by this kind of draconian demagogic demagog demagogic um demagogic yeah. mayor um who is just a, a total jerk and uh runs this town he has the biggest house and he runs the town with the iron fist and everyone else is just suffering and has to give him taxes and man i don't know there's there's just a lot to unpack here and i don't feel i feel like i've only gotten a fraction of it because like you're you're at the end of chapter one you're like sent you're banished from this initial city and then you wind up in this other city and like I have no Mm. sense of like how big the scale of the world is going to be and where it's going to take me but they all talk about like going to the world above where the skies are blue and the forests are green and stuff like that and other people are like no there's nothing in the world above it's just a a fable and like you'll die if you go up there Uh, this is the only safe place Um, Mm -hmm. so there's just a lot a lot in there and then on top of everything else they have an entire like playable 8-bit JRPG that the character all play and so you can like jump on a computer and also play this is why jason likes the game okay Mm. instead of gwent 
there's FF6. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even I haven't right. even done that part yet. Um, so I don't even know well, what that's like. I feel like there's just a ton of stuff in this game. There's like a cooking system. There's a ton of stuff in this game. To this sounds so incredible. Still, so you're playing this on Switch? Playing this on Switch, yes. Runs great on my Switch. But it's um, on, I'm assuming, consoles and PC and stuff. Too. Yeah, it feels very much like these people wanted to make this like massive, awesome JRPG, but then they realized that JRPG combat is kind of boring. So they were just like, let's take Zelda's mm. action and dungeons and mix them with like everything else that you love from nice. a JRPG. It's nice. it's pretty it's pretty good so far, guys. I'll update you. I'm gonna play a lot more, and I I really want to play like dive into it more. So I'll probably talk about it again once I've like Great. chucked a few more hours at it. But I'm really enjoying it so far. It's called Eastward. You made me want to play it. Um, all right. Well, I'm also talking about a game. Look at that. Look at us talking about video games in one video more games. Thing. Cool. Um, I played a game, so I was traveling the last week and a half and only had my Switch, and I was playing a lot of Ace Attorney, which is great, but I wanted to play something new as well, and I played a really cool game. The uh, They sent a couple codes to this game. I guess to you, Jason, you gave me one, and I had, it was totally not on my radar, and you're like, hey, do you want to code for this game? They say the music is cool, and I was like, uh, okay, sure, and I downloaded <laughs> it and played it, and it's really, really cool. So this game is called Golf Club Wasteland. It's on Switch and PC, and I think consoles too. It's developed by, actually, this is funny, it's developed by Demagogue Games. That's the secret <laughs> word of this week's show. Yes, uh, yeah. Every, Every time, time we, we say, say demagogue, demagogue, you have to drink. If you text that into the show, you get $100. I think it would be demagogic. I think the first Demi- one is that's hard what no I matter thought. what. Demagogic. Yeah. Is, is it okay. a word? Demagogic? Huh. It's definitely yeah, it a word. Is. It is yeah, demagogic, I think. So Demagogue Games made it. Um, I it was completely off my radar, and I played it, and it's really cool. It's really unlike uh, you know anything else that I'd played. It's its own kind of thing. It is a two D golf game that is more about atmosphere and story than it is about the golf, <laughs> which <laughs> is, uh, is I understand sounds a little bit weird. So the premise for this is the Earth has become. Uh, just trash bin in the future. Like it has been trashed and used up and is n- has no atmosphere and is not habitable. And all the rich people and all the like, you know, everyone who could move to Mars to this colony where they could go and like be safe and be rich in their safe colony. So there's definitely a lot of like social commentary built in there. It feels very of the moment. And then the game is you're playing as this guy you control, he's like in a space suit and he's kind of just like playing golf by himself and going through these golf courses that they've built on the earth because now the earth is good for nothing but kind of a place for rich people to go screw around and parts of the earth have just been converted into these really elaborate golf courses. So you're, it's 2D and you're and it's really beautiful looking but you'll be you know on like a ruined kind of highway where the highway superstructure has collapsed and in the background you'll just see some signs that sort of reflect the times of the, the fall of earth and you're just hitting your golf ball through it. But what's really cool about the game, well there's two things. One is the whole time you're playing your character doesn't really speak. He'll like kind of grumble if he misses a shot or something so he is a person but he doesn't talk but there's this radio that plays and it's like what's it called it's like radio earth nostalgia it's a bunch of songs some of them i think are original some i don't know what bands what mix of bands or what they got but it's this amazing series of songs and stories and people like things that were recorded 
during the fall of Earth. So it's like a nostalgia oldies station that's playing old stuff from obviously the future, according to <laughs> the three of us, but the past in this game. And so it's kind of telling the story of the fall of Earth through music. And the music is really good so far. It's just like cool songs and beautiful lyrics and melodies, these synths. And like then it'll be like a spoken word thing, a person telling the story. And there's this framing that I don't know. I haven't played that much of the game. I don't. It doesn't seem like it's super long, but I haven't finished it. There's also like the whole story is being told by someone who isn't the guy playing golf and is like observing him as he plays. And you start to get the sense through. It's like just one sentence from that story appears on screen in between each hole. And it's like, I saw him playing by himself. I didn't know what to make of him. And then you just play a hole. And then you start to get the sense that you're actually seeing this story as it's being recounted by someone else, which is also really clever. Interesting. It's really cool. I mean, I I started playing it just being like, well, we'll see what this is. And was just super drawn in by the aesthetics. It's so sure-footed from the very start. I was like, oh, this is like made by people who had a really strong idea of what they wanted to make. So I'm definitely going to play the rest of it. Like I said, it doesn't seem like it's super long. I'm very curious to see where it goes, but it's really just kind of a vibe game. There's no scoring. I think you can play with scoring, but there's no scoring in the golf. So it's just kind of like try to get, it's like fun to play golf and try to get the ball in the hole, but it's not like stressful or frustrating really. You're just kind of listening to the music and vibing. So I really dig it. It's called Golf Club Wasteland. Um, I recommend it. Uh, It's great on Switch. It was like a good... Portable game. It sounds like a ripoff of Mario Golf to me. Yeah, it really <laughs> yeah. does. It sounds right, almost right. identical, except you can't play as Bowser, so I'm not really right. interested yeah, in it. So not yeah, so you can't put Bowser in a suit. Thanks anyway, though. Yeah. <laughs> there's something to be said about interesting 2D golf games. <laughs> like, just there's that golf Metroidvania and Super Stickman Golf in this game. Like, golf yeah. seems to, of all the sports, seems to get the, the most creative sort of alt versions. There's Golf Story. There's like. What was that golf game that was like on phones a while back that was like really strange and just the color of the background slowly changed over time? What was that called? Oh, that. Is that, I don't know. Jason knows what is. I'm talking about. Yeah, I didn't invent um, this. Everybody's golf. There's just been a lot of good golf games. We should do an episode on golf games. Golf games. <laughs> what the golf? I think is what I'm thinking of. Oh, what the golf? Yes, no, what the golf. It's not, that's not it. There's no, so what the many golf. weird golf games. Bing, Kirk here from the future. The game that Maddie is trying to think of, which we circled back to and finally remembered, is called Desert Golfing. It was kind of a hot thing for a minute there, just a little while back. So yeah, that's the other interesting arty golf game. All right, back to the show. Bing. This could be this could be interesting to talk about in the future. For now, though, Golf Club Wasteland is good. That's one more thing. We're done with our episode. We recorded <laughs> we an episode it. of Triple Click. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, if anyone wants to hear us talk about Half Life Two, that'll be coming up. So uh, become a member and, uh, Very and support us making this show. All right, cool. I will see the two of you next week. See ya. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.